and welcome to Spoil Your Rain. This is an episode on The Orville, a new TV show by Seth MacFarlane, a sort of recap of Star Wars, and the sort of nostalgia trip that we're sitting in right now. And I'm joined by... Jack Kerwin. Okay, Jack, so let's start with The Orville. For our listeners who don't have uh, knowledge of what this is, it is a somewhat spoof, somewhat science fiction TV show written by Seth MacFarlane that is actually really good. Is that yeah, a good sum I, I mean, I actually had a thought in this. It kind of ties into the Star Wars thing a bit. Oh, by but, the way, for anyone who hasn't watched it, spoilers! Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we have to get all that. But anyway, so here's the thing. In relation to the new Star Trek, right? I know a lot of people have various dislikes of it. By the way, I watched the first new Star Wars before the second new Star Wars, but anyway. Yeah. But the. Sorry, are you talking about Star Trek or Star Trek? Star Trek, but whichever. It's all this. Yeah. It's nostalgia. all the same. <laughs> but here, here, here's the thing. Um, I have been rewatching a lot of Star Trek in my just like downtime, shut my brain off kind of between work sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, it's become painfully obvious to me as much as I love like the next generation and even DS9 Voyager they're dated to a fuck the next generation in particular I mean their two female leads may as well not exist in that show for a vast bulk of it right yep um DS9 I think still holds up DS9 still holds up, but it still has its like oh, yes. early season jitters, right? Well, particularly the guy, the doctor, yeah. chasing that woman. In nowadays culture, you're like, that man needs to go not, to jail. Not even in nowadays culture. It's just weirdly like, you know, fucking Mrs. Robinson about the whole thing. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. But anyway, but here's the thing. The shows as they were can't be done now. Uh, if I'm being complete, but you cannot make the Twilight Zone again. You cannot make Star Trek again. It required people being big fans of procedural TV, people being kind of okay with the thing of like, look, sometimes the quality is fucking great, sometimes it's garbage, sometimes it's a bit of a goof. You know, it, it, you're getting 26 episodes of whatever the hell we happen to pull out of the tank, right? Um, then. You know, the new Star Trek, as I said, no people have issues with, but I'm relatively okay with it on one major thing. It's different. This is Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, Discovery, yeah. right? It is different. Um, it can, It's different in bad ways, it's different in good ways, but I'm not watching someone trying to recreate, like, capture yeah. the magic of the next generation. Yeah. Because fundamentally, in my view, you can't. Most of why I like Star Trek is pure nostalgia on my part about being tiny and being pretty much the only TV show I liked that didn't involve Thomas the Tank Engine. Mm -hmm. Now, The Orville takes, I think, the correct track to do dealing with nostalgia. The Orville is just trying to capture that feel, but is fully accepting of some of the weirdness, ridiculousness, and goofiness that is inherent in the next generation. Yep. But... Much like like the best Star Wars, Star Trek movie that was ever made, Galaxy Quest, it's not actually making fun of it, and that's actually a really important thing. It's making light of some of it and pointing out some of the hilarious things in it, but some of those episodes they actually take very seriously. Yeah, no, no, they they deal with real issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I have to say, as a piece, I was quite skeptical. Yes, because I'm not a McFarlane guy. Right? Yes. He's not my cup of tea. I don't have a problem with him being successful. I don't no. begrudge him this. But he is not what I would consider good TV. It's not. I don't like what he makes normally. Yeah. And I was a bit kind of leery. And I watched it. And I came away and went, this is really good. This is really clever. 
and it doesn't make any pretending not to be clever. Yep. And it works. Um, there are clangers. Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. But I think because it's 13 episodes and because it's quite tight, it really works. And it deals with some stuff that you would not expect from a TV show like that. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. They... The first bit of a joke is the thing of, like, it's a turnaround of the Star Trek thing of the best of humanity. It's more like what you generally get of humanity, right? Which yeah. is a nice turnaround of, like, yeah, that's that's probably closer to how this would go. You know, if you're not doing this, like, hard military ship, which Star Trek never did, yeah. you're going to get a lot more fucking goofballs in there. Yeah. Um, the second thing is is that I think the tone of the whole series was set when they they first walk onto the bridge and the pilot turns around and goes, "Hey man, the captain before you let us drink <laughs> yes. coke on the bridge. Is that okay? Is that cool yeah. if we drink soda on the bridge? It's 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 like something you get in any office. Yeah, you, know? you kind of go like, okay, that's the tone. It's yeah. super casual. Um. You know, it, it, it happily leans on the occasional references to the 20th century, but that's fine, because Star Trek also always did, did that. that. Yeah. And actually making references to more current 20th century really shows how ridiculous that whole thing is. Yeah. Of, like, guy in the 23rd century going, you know, Beethoven was the greatest music ever, is just as ridiculous as guy going, you know, Kermit really is a great leadership example. Yeah. <laughs> it is a thing of, like, yeah, Beethoven's great, but fundamentally nothing in 400 years. Yeah. Between, yeah. between you and Beethoven, like. Um, the problem I had was I started watching Discovery and Orville at the same yeah. time, and I very quickly dropped Discovery because I was like, I understand what they're doing. Yeah. I think it is much tougher. It's much more military sci-fi. Yeah. It's much more jagged in many, many ways. It is somewhere between, like, Enterprise and the original series. Yeah, but with that sort of darkness that came out of DS9. Yeah. The problem I had with it was I had no empathy towards any of the characters. Yes. Except for the massive Tartrigade. That was the only thing I felt sorry for, See? was the massive whale-like creature that could somehow navigate the stars. Now, I, that thing I felt really bad for. See, that was thing. not what I was supposed to come away with. What I'll point out with that is actually where the problem of a lot of this nostalgia comes in, where we'll segue into Star Wars. The problem Discovery falls into is that, like, they knew this was going to be a nightmarish like task to bring Star Trek back. Yes. So they listened to Brian Fuller, who said, "Look, what we'll do is we'll do, um, you know, a a a sort of uh, American horror story or American crime story thing. We'll do one story a season and move it around, right? Yeah. And it shows that this was not meant to be the pilot season for like a seven season TV show. Yeah. Like that is very much what you do in a miniseries. You don't make people fall in love with the characters because they're only getting them for twelve episodes. You don't need them." To yeah. love the character. You just need to watch the show. You just want to tell the story. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, which is, like, perfectly fine, but you can see that there were its issues. Now, I will still say it's the second best first season of a Star Trek show. Oh, by far. Oh, by far. Easily. Oh, by far. Um, oh, absolutely. There's no, there's no question. The production values are great. It looks great. It's got great casting. Yeah. It's cast really well, and it doesn't look out of place. No. Um, it's, it's, it's well put together but at the same time there are issues with the guns though he, well, he, so here's the more fundamental thing to me right is that Star Trek Star Trek the original series could only work in the 60s 
right? That show is so weird and goofy. Like, you, it's difficult to take the tonal shifts within an episode um, in the modern era because you get things like guy fucking explodes and dissolves and is, you know, cast into fucking oblivion. And then you have Spock going, I think I figured it out, Captain. Going, what, Spock? You know, it's yeah, it doesn't work. real weird now. The Next Generation could only be made in the 80s. I mean, and even some of the stuff they wanted to push early on, like the guys in miniskirt, unitards, was even a bit weird for the 80s. But it's that thing, you need the procedural stuff. Um, DS9 is a bit of an outlier, and it sort of breaks down there, and then Enterprise suffered from a, like issue a lot of shows did, where, you know, they started in, like, 2000 or so, mm-hmm. and then they suddenly, you know, 2000... One nine eleven, and suddenly had to have a thing. Oh, I guess we got to comment on terrorism, terrorism and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's the thing like Discovery is falling into a nostalgia trap, which is where I'm moving to Star Wars. In the same way that like Star Trek: The Next Generation has some absolute great parts to it, a lot of it not so good would be the kindest way of saying it. Like, I'll put it to you this way. There are 26 episodes a season of that show. Yep. I imagine that is about the number that big fans can really remember of sh- episodes they liked. Yeah, about 26. Which means it's about, like, six and seven that are forgettable at best, absolute garbage at worst. Yep. So, and this is the same with a lot of 90s shows. Oh, yeah. Like, 80s and 90s. Like, look at the X-Files. Like, you know... Oh, yeah. You're, variable at best, the lot, show. a lot of fish and to find the yeah. good trout there. You know, it's difficult to show a lot of these shows to, to new viewers. Here's it's the, the thing. clip shows, by the way, whenever they do a clip show, it's always like the three good episodes <laughs> for the last five seasons. <laughs> and here's where I move into Star Wars. I take... Like, we've all seen the controversial debate between is it the worst Star Wars ever or the best Star Wars ever. Now, it is not the worst... the one with Rian Johnson. With Rian Johnson. Yes. It's not the worst. The Clone Wars still exists. Oh, yeah. But I can see where people are splitting down the line. And I see the fundamental problem being the Star Wars movies were never as good as people imagined they were. (laughs) They're great design movies, but they're actually kind of bad. Like, people say the acting in the prequels is bad. I, I, I watched, like, all six movies over the Christmas after watching the, the, the recent one. I was going, they are not... Harrison Ford isn't even fucking trying a lot of the time with his acting. Like, it is something out of a soap opera, to be perfectly frank. But that's what it is. It is a, it's a space sure, opera. Sure, sure. But it's not, that doesn't make it the great movie. And they see, this is where no, the problem's coming in. It was a great movie. In 1977. Yes. Right? Yes. And even then, it was a great effects movie. Yep. In 19... Like, the effects still hold up. That is some astounding work they put in. You see some serious dedication. And I will happily argue the prequels continued that dedication to effects. They did, yeah, yeah. Before story, acting, logic, or anything else. Rational thought. Yeah. But I found it just sort of an interesting thing because it was kind of weird going back and just the slow realization as I watched all these movies going, I don't think I like the Star Wars movies. I like remembering how I liked the Star Wars movies. I slightly disagree with you. I understand where you come from, though. I do. I mean, there is a generalized hagiography of the movies that our parents liked. Yeah. That we were 
inherited yes this liking like as children as children because we were shown it I do think though yes I mean obviously the Star Wars movies it's written by George Lucas many problems therein Um, and it is held up largely kind of to the detriment of other interesting things that came out of the 70s that probably were much better and could have actually been developed in a much more interesting way but the, the thing is it's now this cultural phenomenon which means that once something becomes a cultural phenomenon, it doesn't really matter whether it's good or not, because it's this just going to keep happening. And, like, I resisted for years, as you well know, yeah. watching the, the latest Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. Yes. And I watched it about a week before I saw the new one. Yeah. And I saw the first one, and I came away from it and went, this is fine. There's not much but it's fine and it felt like and I was watching it and there's Donald Gleeson and I was like God, they didn't give Donald much to do <laughs> Donald was kind of bored <laughs> where he just sort of wears the black uniform with the bunny ears why does the hat have a bunny ears they've gone for a Soviet Korea thing I yeah guess. and he sort of shouts on the commander and blows yeah. things up and then runs away and then the one with Rian Johnson because I like Rian's work and because he did mm. a string of indie hits and his movies were quite interesting and powerful. And then I watched the Star Wars one and I watched it with my family and we had the same takeaway, which was this was a film put together by committee. You could just see producers' hands all over it. And you could see that there was a certain framework to that movie, which was, okay, we're going to have to do this to open up this sequel. We're going to do this to open up this spin-out movie. And I wonder if what Rian's original draft was like, because I would guarantee you it's nothing like what we watched. Yeah. See, I actually have a different take on this, and this is where I'll come back to the Orville, why the Orville's good nostalgia. Um, I, Rian's movie, by reports at least, that I've heard, like he had a lot more leeway than you would expect. Mm-hmm. And I actually suspect that it's a case of poor adaption. Yeah. In a weird way, because fundamentally, if it you're... It's an adaptation. Yeah. It, it's an adaptation. They're not trying to make a new Star Wars franchise they're trying to recapture what Star Wars was in the 70s. Um, which you mean you can't do. You can't make something a phenomenon where it's been a phenomenon for 35 fucking years. Also, but it came out of a very particular time yeah. in the 70s. But here's the thing. I mean, so, one of the things about A New Hope, think about what he's referencing. Vietnam, yeah. Watergate. Like He's talking about what he's seeing. But here's the more important thing, is that... So, if you look at... Um, you know, the Harry Potter series. Like, the first film does not have most of the things that were in the book, but it hits all the right notes. God, it was terrible. Right? God, it was Let's, terrible. Hey, forgive the kids, they were ten. No, no, yeah. I, I'm not blaming the children, but, but it was terrible. But I read Columbus. It captured everything anyone who was a fan of the books at that age and was twelve wanted to see. Mm. It hit all the right notes. It did. So it's a good adaption. The pro- thing is, though, they also knew what things they could just kind of drop and forget about because they had to make a movie. Yeah. Whereas, like, with Rian Johnson's thing and The Force Awakens, you can see the problem is that both movies, if I say to have any major flaw, is that they're not looking at what made A New Hope good. They're not. Like, A New Hope. So, things we associate with Star Wars. Lightsaber fights? We got one real bad one. Like, even by the standards of two old guys swinging swords, one of them who can't see, it's still pretty shoddy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of space battles, it's pretty bland, 
to be perfectly blunt by any it's modern standards. In, in, in New Hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what, what is it? We can't shoot them because there's a moon, so we'll just wait and get shot at by X-Wings and then we'll blow up. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's the, the big... There's not an amazing action scene. Because that's not the things that made it work. And you can see that they're trying to get, like, the kind of scoundrel in there. But here's the funny thing, as I've pointed out. Han Solo's not even a, like, lovable rogue. He's just an ass. Yeah. A really annoying ass. Like, if I was in the Star Wars universe and met Han Solo and on a flight with him, it would be about two hours before I shoved him out of an airlock. He needs that Wookiee next to him, or he would have been killed so many times in his lifetime. Yeah. It's literally only the Wookiee keeping him alive. Yeah, yeah. Not a very nice yeah. guy. Um, you know, it's the thing you can see, oh, we need a sort of, like, young hero looking to, you know, do a thing, but they're also trying to bring in all the things from the later Star Wars movies that people liked, of the big space battle, and the on the ground, and the cutesy things, and the lightsaber fights, and the, you know, darkness, and the, like, dark and emperors and things and you can see their brains getting jumped we've got to get all the stuff that that's was in it. six movies that's exactly it they're trying to distill a franchise into a Each new movie yeah exactly yeah and the problem is and this is why rogue one in comparison to those two movies just leaves them miles behind yes because rogue one has a very simple premise we must fix the plot hole that George created. <laughs> that, I'll actually argue, isn't really a plot hole. No, it's not. No, it's not. But it's like, we must fix this thing. And so the film, by definition, is short. Yeah. Very, Contained. very compact. No it, lightsabers. No. And it does everything it's supposed to do. It's, it gets you a team. The team does the mission. Because it's building yeah. on the Guns of Navarone. And all yes. of those old school... Because it's, it's got a different premise. It's adapting premise. those movies. Exactly. It's, it's taking the whole thing of like, you know, we gotta, we gotta get up over the cliff and we gotta blow up the Guns of Navarone. I just watched the Guns of Navarone. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities <laughs> there. You know, they got the team, they got the guys, they're doing the thing. That fits into a different schoolboy novel style... Yeah understanding of action movies that when Johnson and that other lumbering symbol was Abrams <laughs> were trying to do this with Star Wars they looked at all the frizz waz boom and forgot that there's actually a story there and also forgot that what Lucas did was I'm going to take 16 archetypes yeah. and then I'm just going to jam them not very well together and then I'm going to bring in a writer to smooth out my bad edges Yeah, and that's what happened the man on his own the old wise man. Yeah. You know, literally. It's like tarot cards. You could build a tarot card, you know, the man on his own. Yeah. Death, Vader, yeah. Death, Vader, exactly, yeah. yeah. Rebirth, virgin goddess, all that crap. You can see all of that. Yeah. The problem is that, obviously, Abrams has never been to a tarot card reader. Or, I don't know. <laughs> also, I really want to see a Star Wars movie written by tarot card readings now. <laughs> I actually think that would be awesome. But um, it, it makes me kind of wonder, like, okay, so what's the... Is the future Star Wars going to be in more the kind of Rogue One take a short segment and run with it direction which is what the guys who did the novels were all about that was See, their whole shtick or is it going to be it's like you know do you ever hear of the um, what are they called they were these 1940 series the Inspector Chan series yes they were like super racist like nowadays yeah. like they're complete cultural appropriation right but they made like 50 of them yeah and then they rebooted it for TV in the 50s and they had to like distill all these shitty B-movies yeah. and I, I kind of feel like they're in the same situation where they're chasing that kind of well the reason I'm going to like bring us back to Discovery for a moment is that like Discovery is exactly what they wanted to avoid doing something different and people not liking it 
Yeah. Right? They wanted to get as many people in. Discovery took a bit of a chance. Whether it worked or not, it depends on you. It's very subjective, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If Discovery tried to do what they did with Star Wars, so there would have been an android. It would have been set, like, probably after DS9. They would have, like, tried to fit in every bit of thing that, as a Star Trek fan, of course, you know and love. But, you know what? I don't need everything. In fact, actually, there was a very brief thing, and this is, like, the closest that I got to a lot of stuff. They, they did show a few Andorians. There was a brief shot of a trail, and I was going, I'm happy now. It's a bit Star Trek-ier. Yeah. But... They decided to go in a different route, different types of characters, not fit all the stuff people loved in. Whether it worked or not, that's up for debate. The Orville, however, did the other way of doing a good adaption. They took the basic idea, messed around with it, and kind of went, look, we can do stories that kind of like half joke about things that people know, but will still be funny to a new audience. We'll take a bit of the aesthetic, because we can do it cheaper than they had to do it now, because... Yeah. It's super He's cheap looking CGI. now. CGI, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we can have fun with it and do something new that's, like, obviously riffing off it, but it's different. So th they can adapt fine. Yeah. They're proper adaptions of the same source material, essentially. Yeah, and all those pulp sci-fi magazines, yeah. basically, yeah. And with the Star Trek one, I will say, I would go Star Trek one thing, that is that, for the most part, they've been actually pretty comfortable series to series, like changing the formula, ignoring things that people liked. Yeah. Like, I know, yeah, DS9 brought in Worf to kind of boost the ratings after a while, but I think Michael Dorn was also going, hey, more paycheck, yeah, that's <laughs> Thank nice. Thank you, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, the Star Wars problem is the thing of that, like, Maybe the next two trilogies or something, they might decide, you know what, maybe we do a smaller scale story, not the fate of the galaxy, Rebels versus thing. I hope they do. Maybe they decide, maybe, let's make a trilogy movies with no Jedi. Keep it small. Resist the temptation to do the same thing. Don't kill off the old wise master in movie two. Keep him around, maybe. Let him go like, senile. Yeah. <laughs> senile do, old master. Do what any number of things that are yeah. different, but keep it small. But here's the thing. Would Disney, the you know, if Disney has a product they sell now, it's nostalgia. Yep. So would they risk that? Because you have to remember, they're not just thinking about, like, they're putting the movie together. They're just thinking, like, you know, okay, we need to make a good movie that will reach down the test of time. And they're thinking, we need to make a movie that will please most people. It's in, like, a... If you kind of think of the Marx Brothers, you remember the original Marx yeah. Brothers movies? And yeah. they, you know, they'd have the 50 minute extended music scene because you needed something for the people who like music. Yeah. And you'd have all the like extended, like sort of um, knock Buster knock Keaton, jokes. like goof jokes. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd have the extended knock knock jokes of, you know, they had the bits for everyone because they were trying to sell to everyone and it worked. But it was also variety. It was a yeah. variety show. I mean, like, so basically what you're saying is that Disney have turned Star Wars into a variety. I mean, that's true. It is a variety act. Yeah. I mean, it's the, an action variety. Yeah, yeah, and it's really terrible. Like, I don't think it's even terrible. I think it's a thing of... Like, actually, the main takeaway I've taken from this Star Wars Star Trek debate of the past four months or so has been people need to realize that there is an additional category to best thing ever and worst thing ever, and that category is... It's Grant. Midland. It's okay. Yeah, it's sound. You know? Like, I haven't really been asked watching The Force Awakens again haven't been particularly interested in watching Rogue One again, weirdly, or actually the new Star Wars. Yeah. They were fine. I enjoyed watching them. Might watch them again if I'm bored in the future. See, I liked Rogue One. I just liked the idea of it. It was an interesting yeah. idea. It was executed quite well. Yeah. And I kind of liked it, because it was shorter, and it was kind yes. of more punchy. And I'm sort of like, yeah, that's that for me kind of... And you can watch one movie and get the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But also I felt like it was just a bit more mature. Hmm. 
it was made by somebody who kind of was just a bit more mature and I kind of felt watching the Johnson and Abrams thing I was like okay this is more for 12 year olds and 13 year olds this isn't as mature that's, a, that's the thing that's what I kind of bring in the nostalgia thing is that that is somewhat of the problem yes it is is that and I was talking to like I, I got one or two friends who like are massive Star Wars nuts right you're talking like Boba Fett pajamas okay the you know yards, kind yeah. of thing so here's the thing I was when I first came up with this thesis of the Star Wars movies aren't that great, you know, it kind of felt like I was coming out as gay to a radical Christian right couple. You know, it was a little okay. This guy's a big Star Wars fan, and I'm going to say the Star Wars movies aren't that great. And their response was, "Yeah," because the thing is, is that as they explained to me, the thing that they actually realized that they loved about Star Wars, the movies got them into Star Wars, but it was the games, the books, the comics, it's all the, the stuff yeah, yeah, around the it. Yeah, and because it's a lifestyle, not quite a lifestyle. Well, choice, no, but it's it's, it's it. a it's a hobby. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's an obsession, actually. Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah it's a hobby obsession. <laughs> and a fine line. And Star Wars, uh, Star Trek has the same problem. And it's funny that the Orville, I think, is is the first TV show since Battlestar Galactica, where I felt like oh, it's new. Okay, yes. it's pushing, it's going out there. And you can see how Battlestar Galactica has totally influenced Discovery, by the by. Oh, yeah. Because Battlestar Galactica was brutal and very, very violent. And, and it's obvious Discovery's like, well, we can't, we can't mess about now. We've got to be a bit tougher. Well, there was, a, there was a funny one, actually, about this that uh, occurred to me past two weeks. There's been a lot of occurrences with science fiction to me in the past two weeks. I noticed that, yeah. Thinking about it, but... I had a thing of, again, I like Discovery because I do like my Star Trek, and at least it's slightly different Star Trek. Sure. You know? yeah, I had yeah, Doug yeah. Jones in, and I genuinely like Doug Jones because he plays a good, weird thing. There was a very funny thing. I was tweeting about Doug Jones, and I tweeted the wrong Doug Jones, so a Star Wars <laughs> tweet went to the guy in Alabama, which was slightly confusing, so I must now send an Alabama-themed tweet to the guy from Star Wars. <laughs> that would be good. I don't think I'm the first person to have made that mistake. But it was that thing of, okay, so the Expanse is out there. I, look, I like my spaceship with a, a spa, sci-fi with spaceships at the very least, aliens preferably. Yeah. But, you know, the Expanse is out there, which is good, nice to have an actual sci-fi show out there. But, you know, I was thinking about it, I was going like, Star Trek, Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica in there. And all I kept thinking was, you know what I haven't watched in a while? Farscape. A yeah. weird damn show. Very Absolutely strange. bizarre. Made by the Jim Henson Company. Kind of mostly Australian-based show. And here's the thing. I'm never going to say to anyone that Farscape is up there with those two. It would be ludicrous to conceive of, because those are the juggernauts of science fiction. But it is a thing of, it was different. Oh, yeah. Like, it was something else. Wasn't Red Dwarf a bit like that, too? No, Red Dwarf is a bit more on the funny side. Okay, it was Goofy. Comedy. It's yeah. a bit more... Hitchhiker's Guide for the Lads, I suppose, is kind of how I praise it. Wasn't there something else in that 90s? Was it Andromeda? There was another uh, There was show. Andromeda and Babylon 5. That's well. it. Like, there were a lot of other shows. Spin-offs, yeah. But I will, the problem with a lot of those is that they either didn't last long, like Babylon 5, um, they didn't keep the prints. So people have told me that, like, you should rewatch really Babylon 5. I don't think it ever aired on Irish TV. I never saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it didn't. But... The problem is they only got the 1990s film for, like, four yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking frames. So it doesn't, you can't watch it. Uh, and they lost the masters for the CGI, so the CGI is still that real early 90s. So I'm going, it might be good. 
but unfortunately, film and TV is an audio-visual format. Yeah, that actually is something that Star Wars... That's, I think, why Star Wars has managed to stick around. Because yeah. the ones in the 70s... There was other ones in the 70s that were made. There were other military sci-fi and just generalized sci-fi being made. And because they they weren't preserved and they weren't remastered yep. and they lost whatever in fires, because there was a lot of fires in those days, um, th- they have missed their historical moment, shall we say. And this thing has managed to take off. Same with Star Trek as well. Yeah. Conventions built that into literally a cult. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not far off. Not far off. But He's dead, Jim. But there is a thing of like, I think, I, I always think of them as kind of, I never got the Star Wars Star Trek debate because you're looking at no. two very different things. Like, if you're looking at the I movies, I've enjoyed I guess, both. But it's the thing of Star Wars, as I said, I'm not saying the movies are terrible. I'm saying they're just not as good as people have made them out. Like, people put, regularly put them up in the top 10 movies of all time. That's daft. And I'm going, like, no, they're no. just not. No. They, like, they're fun action movies. In terms of blockbusters, they're easily the top 10 of all yeah, time. In terms, in terms of movies, of actual no. movies, no, they're not. But if you're looking for design, either audio, visual, props, makeup, any number, anything to do with film and design, if you haven't studied Star Wars, you haven't even fucking studied it as far as I'm concerned. They are fundamental movies to almost everything yeah, we now think of. Yeah, because they started a lot of things. Um, like, literally, things like, you know, CGI companies and effects companies yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. In a way, in a way that to, to give them their credit, in a way to all of the... Um there's this series of movies that I'm forgetting. I think it's also done by Disney. The the Snow White and the Sleeping Beauty movie and the Huntsman and oh, all that kind of stuff. Yes, all yeah. of those movies are built on the special effects techniques built by Weta. Yeah. So that came out of the Lord of the Rings. It's a similar thing. Lord of the Rings yes. is similar in many, many ways. Lord of the Rings movies are, in many ways, they're better put together as films than Star Wars. But they are not the 10 best films ever made because they are in in addition to being stupidly dense at times they're also spectacle movies yes like I mean here's the thing Lord of the Rings is the difference as I'd see it Star Wars is foundational to a lot of things that we now consider standard operating procedure for movies Um, Lord of the Rings was more the perfection of most techniques for making film along with one really revolutionary technique, which was, of course, Gollum's motion capture. Mm -hmm. The vast bulk of everything else, like, the CGI in those movies is very, very light, actually. A lot of it's models. They they brought back models, though. That was great. Models and prosthetics. No, it was, was like, the real, if you want to know how to do this stuff, we perfected it. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And you can Um, see its influence in these kind of Huntsman fantasy movies and things like that. And even that TV show, the the ABC one, um, Once Upon a Time and all, all of those are kind of tapping into, look at the colors they use. Those deep, rich browns and greens and grays. And it's a a whole color scape that comes out of that weather. They're they're aiming for a very specific, different type of... um, Color tone. Yeah. Because if you look at Star Wars, it's always black, white, Reds, uh, reds, very solid colors, blues. not very much variation. Yeah, yeah. Um, color limited, very much yeah. so. Actually, it's not used that much in a weird way. No, but Shiny here's the thing, though. Chrome. Star Trek is coming from a very different angle. One, it's not a movie franchise. It's a franchise that has movies, but it's not a movie franchise. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But they're aiming for a thing of like, you know, one of the weirder things actually about the Star Trek characters when you think about it. We know that Worf bakes. We know he likes opera. 
We know what he does in his off time. These are things like, what does Han Solo do in his off time? You can make guesses. He probably gambles in bars or whatever. You don't know. Yeah, because they have they never show down. Yeah, because it's a film. You don't have time. Star Trek also has a thing of like, look, if you're chucking out as many episodes that franchise has done over the thing, you hit some solid gold. But you also being the premier, you know, science fiction show, and its first incarnations pulling on a lot of sci-fi stories at that time. A lot of the stories and ideas now we consider basic science fiction stuff is coming out of Star Trek. Yeah. You know, they're creating what many would consider the er examples of a lot of these because things. Because they were the conduits. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... Which is actually, which, which actually brings me to another thing. It's interesting to see the Philip K. Dick Asimov stuff starting to bubble up again because they've kind of gone back to those guys to go, okay, let's have a look at their work. But I have to say, I did see half of that new... Electric um, Dreams? Yeah. Not great. Very unhappy. Yeah. Deeply unhappy. You know why? Because there's a lot of Philip K. Dick that just isn't filmable, or B, wasn't great. It's, It's both of those things. It's also the fact that they picked short stories that I would never have done. And it's also the fact that they really don't understand how to do them. No, that's that's they also were, definitely. Like, I was watching them, and from an adaptation point of view, because I know these short stories very yes. well. I have a big collection of them in my in my room. But it's you. You read the short story, and you go, "Okay, that could be adapted this way, this way, this way." And then these clowns come in and adapt it in a way that makes no sense. Because you're like, "That's not on the page." Is it, I'm, I'm wondering what the problem with Dick is in the inverse problem that is there for Star Wars, which is that Star Wars is almost too much. Yeah. So you gotta cram it all in, and then you watch, like, I literally watched the latest Star Wars going, okay, what the hell is happening? Okay, we're here, and then we're on this planet, and we're on this planet, and you're jumping back and forth. With uh, with Dick, it's like there is not much. It's minimalism before that was a thing. Mm. And I think what happens is they go, oh, it's, it's bare. Yeah. So let's add the curtains and more meat. And it's like, no. The point is, in the way that Pinter does this, it's scathingly short. That's the point. Yeah. It's not supposed to be built up. It's pared down. Yeah, I can see that. And if you adapt it where it's built up, it doesn't work. In a way that the, that, that master of science fiction thing, the guy with the elephants that write. <laughs> the guy with the elephants. Remember this? Yeah. The Malcolm McDowell. I, don't, I can't remember the hell the, the name of the thing uh, is. Jerry was a man. Jerry was a man, right? Based God on damn, I feel, sorry. Uh, your man I'm not even having a week where I've just been throwing out like obscure science fiction facts by episode, and I'm feeling That's very, what, you're, very you're, much like I am the greatest nerd and also the worst human being. <laughs> you are. You are definitely up there. But that is a great episode to watch because it's bizarre. It's about a, a yeah. robot who becomes given human status or whatever. But in this one moment, Michael McDowell is stuck uh, in a room with a tiny elephant that writes, I love you, <laughs> with, a, with a pen in its little trunk, and it's adorable, because I love elephants, and I was very excited to watch this with you when I yeah. first watched it. But you know that on the page, right, in the short story, it was um, Dr. Such-and-Such uh, made tiny elephants for money. Yes. And that was it. Yeah. And what they did was they took that, and it was obvious that he sold them for money, and all you saw was in the background of all the other scenes, these little tiny elephants riding I love you on the ground, right? And the point was made, because they didn't have to build it up. Yeah. You watch the Electric Dreams thing, and you go, why is the set changed? Who the hell is that character? What's happening? And you, know, you feel like the guy <laughs> from dumb, what happened to that guy's head? Because you're just like, what happened to this, the film? See, 
I actually see and that... this has happened to every dick adaptation. See, I actually see it as this... Um, I'll need to take Stephen Cleary's uh, adaptation yeah. course, actually. See, I actually see this as more of a fundamental problem of... See, Philip K. Dick nostalgia is a weird one. Most people aren't nostalgic for Philip K. Dick's stories. At all. They're nostalgic for either A, the films of Philip K. Dick's adaptions, or B, the money of Philip K. Dick adaptions. Yes, isn't that it? That's such, a, that's such a, that's a core difference. It's the There are a few people like you and me mm. who really like Philip K. Dick, but we are the vast, vast minority. And then there are people who are like, I like Blade Runner. And I'm like, okay, but that's nothing to do with Philip K. Dick. But yes, you can like Blade yep. Runner. And they're like, I'm going to see the new one. And I'm like, well, I won't. Because it's not Philip K. Dick. I actually haven't got around to it yet. I've heard it's it. terrible, I've heard it's great. No, 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 I don't care. Out. But, see, I kind of see it as this, um, like, with the, the, the Orville, like, I see it as this, like, genius thing that Star Trek also had. And Star Wars had. There's a reason Star Wars and Star Trek actually are the premier franchise. Because, yes, Star Wars was George Lucas's brainchild to various degrees and Star Trek was Gene Roddenberry's to various degrees but both Star Wars and Star Trek heavily relied on so many other people really bringing the pieces together mm -hmm. um, so they, and both of them pulled on a like Star Wars is the absolute incarnation of pulp oh yes like it is pulp that is if you wanted to like you know if you got all the pulp, like, culture of the 30s to the 60s... And you put it together. And you crammed it down yeah. as much as you could, you would get next week. Yep. That's what you would get. Yep. Star Trek is taking, like, took more of the literary guys in places and more of the, ooh, it was aliens all along guys. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> they, worked, yeah. <laughs> and they worked with both of them. But... It got a more complete sense of, like, what science fiction was. Yeah, and also, Roddenberry was a cop. So, basically, in every episode, someone has to die. Yeah. Because he's a cop. And he's basically writing a cop procedural. Oh, yeah, I mean... Except they're the worst cops in the world. It's like, if you think about it this way, Star Trek, the original series, is almost like the worst homicide department in the universe. Because every episode... Who did it? It was the rock monster on the desert planet with his laser eyes. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, they're like homicide cops. Because every time they lose a crew member, or no, actually, yeah, you, shot... Actually, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Because when you think about it, like, what is it? Like, Kirk is the young rogue cop, and then yeah. Spock is more by-the-book guy, and then Bones is like the more Guy who's Mortar just guy. like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a really bad yeah. homicide department. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Star Star Trek is Star Wars is nothing like that. You know, it's the thing. Like they're they're fundamentally building off nostalgia when they begin, they and have become nostalgia in and of themselves. The problem with Philip K. Dick and Asimov is that very. It, I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to be nostalgic for a guy who's writing. I can always read. Like, you don't need to... Okay, Asimov has the weird thing of, like, you know, his computers in, like, you know, 30 million years from now still work off, like, punch cards and yeah, knobs. Yeah, yeah. But the story is still the story. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like um, with Star Trek where, like, you can believe, honestly, that the original series of Star Trek and the original trilogy of Star Wars are the perfect incarnations of their franchise. Yes, yes, yes. But I guarantee you it's going to be hard to sell that to someone who's never seen them and is over the age of 12. Yes. Right? But with Asimov, 
it, it's just Asimov. Like, yes, his stories were kind of weirdly outdated when I was a kid reading them and never bugged me. And yeah, Dick's stuff is just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's nothing for you to update or play with. The stories are done. The guys are dead. You've got what you've got. They don't move or evolve as franchises. So I think that's where a lot of the um, attempts at adapting them goes wrong. Because uh, fundamentally, like Philip K. Dick didn't write, um, you know, he didn't write Blade Runner. He wrote Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah. So updating Blade Runner, Makes uh, no sense. building things, the look of Blade Runner. Yeah, he loved Blade Runner by all accounts. He did. But, but he said it's he, he, no he said it looks great but he said it's nothing like my story yeah. <laughs> he was right like I imagine he was going I'm glad they gave me a lot of money and I got a big movie with my name on it but I mean <laughs> I don't think his name is on it I don't think it is I it was adapted he, by I think I think he refused yeah, yeah. I mean but uh, yeah I mean I would like to see his work adapted because I think it is very adaptable but I do think that it can only be adapted if there are certain rules applied to oh, no, it. I, I'm not saying it can't be adapted, actually. It's phrasing it wrong. It's more that you can't be nostalgic for something that exists and is in its exactly. final it's format. Exactly, because there's nothing to be nostalgic about. Well, it's not like... I don't need someone to go and update the story so instead of a guy putting a ticker tape into a computer, they're using a keyboard to type in the command. It's yeah, grand. Yeah. The story's fine. It doesn't matter. Whereas with Star Wars, like, it is a thing... Like, think about it this way. 10, 15 years from now, are you really going to be able to argue with a straight face that the original Star Wars still looks just as good as any movie on screen now? No, of course not. Like, it's difficult to argue now. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, harder to argue then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's true. And that's the thing. Like, they were always going to be remade. But the problem, as we said, you're looking back with nostalgic eyes and the writers and the directors are doing the same. It'd be nice to actually see and new stuff. That's the that's why I like the Orville the so much. I, I want to see more new stuff that's willing to just Riffing push. Off it. But also just that is pushing way out there. And yeah. just going, here's a really weird idea, story, whatever. And I'm not going to link it back to anything that you have cultural touchstones for. It's just going to be out there. Well, even, even though the Orville is tied to the next generation, it's <clears throat> it's tied to it in a, like, let me think about it, actually. Um, like waving at no, the no, ship? No, no, Actually, funnily enough, I have no idea how I came across this, but did you know that there's a Star Trek comic for the next generation set in the Mirror Universe, the cartoonishly evil Mirror Universe? No, but right? I, I know what the Mirror Universe now, is, but no. It, just for the sake of the audience, in case they're not as much nerds. So the Mirror Universe is the classic, like, everyone is now a mustache-twirling villain, you know? Like, if he was a good guy who was always honorable, he now, like, is just chronically stabbing everyone in the back, like, you know... There actually is an episode where a guy is chronically (laughs) stabbing everybody in the back, yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, It's very funny, because, of course, it's like, you got Patrick Stewart with, like, a big bushy beard and, like, his sleeveless things and so on. But it's the thing of, like, it's it's the same idea as Star Trek, but instead it's like, what if everyone was, like, chronically an asshole, you know? And the Orville is doing the same thing. It's like, what if it was Star Trek, but everyone was kind of just like your average guy that you meet working in an office? Yeah. You know, like, there's the one guy who's just doing his job. He does it great. He's a fuck-up in every other aspect of life, but he's doing grand. And, you know, the manager, he's a solid guy, but Jesus Christ, he's bringing, like, his relationship crap into the fucking place. Yeah. And then you get, and then there's this guy, I don't know where he's from, but he's got all these weird things he brings in to eat, and he, I don't know, mutters to himself about some religion-y stuff. He's fine, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that 
automatically changes the story. Like, even the thing of, like, so they have a robot, like Data. But unlike Data, it's not like, I want to be a real boy. No, he's it's, racist. It's like, you guys all suck. <laughs> I am the best. Obviously, I am made out of metal and don't sleep. Yeah, he's just like a racist <laughs> robot. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting kind but of But again, point. not in the Bender way, where, you know, Bender was, like, you know, a cartoonishly crap robot. Yeah. It's in the way of, like, yeah, I could see an all-robot species being like, yes, we are fantastic and superior to you in every way. So we've calculated There's it. No need to go hang out with you, but you go have fun. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually going, they really want to hang out with us, going, okay, we'll send one guy over to hang with you for a little bit. You know, they'll report back to us what we already know. You guys are kind of crap compared to us. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. That there is, a, there is a great kind of, I think, freedom in saying, instead of let's saying it's the best and brightest, like yeah. the Navy, let's just like make it like what the Navy's actually like. Yes. <laughs> rather than what we say. Drunk guys on shore leave looking for prostitutes. Yeah, rather than we say what the Navy, you know, what it thinks of itself. So, I mean, I think just to wrap it up, I think the takeaway we have is it's, it's sort of, this is an interesting follow-up to our kind of Disney thing where we talked specifically about Disney, which is we know that they're doing the nostalgia thing. Yeah. We know that they're going to own all of our childhood memories. Yeah. It's nice to see things like the Orville pushing the envelope in terms of the sci-fi stuff, but it's, it's, for me, it's disappointing to see guys like Rian Johnson caught in the middle of all this crap because I yeah. want him to be able to make good movies. But I understand that, like, he's now stuck in this machine, and we're going to have, like, another nine of these. So it's going to be basically, they're going to do to Star Wars what they did to the Marvel thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, if there's one thing i got to say, like, as a fan of Star Trek, like, look, we got the Orville for the hacking back to the TNG look and making fun of it. We got the Discovery for trying something new. And uh, I think at the end of the day, the first season holds up better than you most. Yeah. Um... And as I said to that NASA Star Wars friend of mine, do you want nine movies over the next ten years? And he was like, no. no. And I'm going, and that's how I feel about Star Trek. I would like this show to run. I would like it to do its like five, seven seasons. And I would like it to go away and us forget about Star Trek for another five years or so. Yeah, and, and maybe in the meantime write something new. Yeah. That would be nice. Apparently they're getting fucking Tarantino to do a Star Trek movie. They're trying to. I don't think that'll happen now. No, I have suspicions <laughs> that may have Paramount's famously kind of... Yeah, iffy. Yeah. Why is it that all the Star Wars and Star Trek... It's all dudes. Well, it's they're, all not, blokes. they're not anymore. No, no, but it's all run by blokes is what I'm saying. Uh, that is true. It's all um, run by dudes. I mean, it's all run by dudes. dudes all the way down. Dudes! It's like um, Ryan Johnson, like a surfer guy from California. I'm like, look, he's a great filmmaker, but nobody tell me that he's better than, like, half the women directors out there, because he isn't. Well, I mean, look, here's the thing. It does have to be um, acknowledged that, like, it's the Hollywood system. It is. At the end of the day. It is, yeah. I mean... But, like, like how long will that last? Honestly, I, I would suspect it will probably go fairly strong for another 10, 15 years and suffer a serious fucking collapse. Mm. Um, okay, well, anyway. anyway. We're going to stop this because yeah. we keep going. So, on that note... Um, that's it for me, Jack Kavanaugh. That's it for me, Jack Kerwin. If you like more of these kind of cultural-themed podcasts, we're going to be probably doing some more. We might actually, if there is demand for it, we might do um, uh, an episode-by-episode look at the Orville just for fun. We watch it and then make fun of it. Yeah, we could we do, could that. do that. Yeah. If people are interested, let us know. Send us a tweet or a Facebook or an angry email, whatever. Um, and in the meantime, if you could all troop down to iTunes and click the button that says leave review rating, because we need that. 
like because iTunes want us to get more people and we want you all to listen and you know. All right, ciao. Good luck. <laughs>